this is Anthony Adams of the We Detroit, We Deserve Better show, a show where I talk about current topics of interest in our community. Today, I'm going to tackle again the, the twin issues of poverty and crime in the city of Detroit. Recently, there was a, a, a great report that was given a lot of fanfare about the fact that the city of Detroit was no longer the poorest city in America. So that obviously piqued my interest because when I read around the city and understanding the metrics of what we're faced with, uh, we know that it's a very difficult environment here in the city of Detroit. And so when I looked at those numbers, it was quite interesting that the poverty rate, existing poverty rate in the city of Detroit is 30.6%, which means that 30 31% of the people in, in this city actually live in abject poverty. The poorest city in America uh, is, is Cleveland, Ohio, which was at 30.8%. So we were two-tenths less than the city of Cleveland and being edged out of the actual poorest city uh, in America. When we also begin to look at the metrics of the city of Detroit, I talk about this often. The 60% of the people in the city of Detroit um, receive some type of transfer payments. That about 80% of the students who enrolled in Detroit public schools qualify for free and reduced lunch that the average income in actual Detroiter is about $27,000 when the average income in the city in the state of Michigan is about $50,000 when you look at employment metrics in the city of Detroit Detroiters actually only occupy about 30% of the jobs in the city of Detroit which means that 70% of the people who live in the city of Detroit are actually employed outside of the city of Detroit. And oftentimes these people uh, have issues and challenges with respect to transportation. Since we don't have a regional transportation system that can move people easily uh, throughout the region. So you couple that with high transportation costs, a lack of access to public transportation, lack of access to employment opportunities. I think you have a toxic mix of why you have a city that continues uh, to be in poverty. When you also have a poverty issue, then you, it, that's exacerbates the issue of crime. The feeling of hopelessness and helplessness uh, in our city is great, and we've got to begin to change that. And so the other day there was a press conference which talked about the actual crime rate in the city of Detroit and how the numbers had gone through the roof. Well, there was an immediate pushback on those crimes to report statistics, and there was almost an attempt to blame the courts, saying, well, you know, the courts have been closed uh, during COVID, and that uh, they had the inability of, of the criminal justice system to operate at a high level because the courts were closed. Well, I found it interesting that uh, the Supreme Court Justice uh, Bridget McCormick would immediately come out with a statement which says, no, don't blame the crime problem on the courts because the courts have actually been open. The only thing that's been slowed down in the criminal justice process are trials themselves, but that the courts have been open for arraignment and handling other matters which impact uh, crime and cr criminal justice system in the city of Detroit. So the question then becomes, how do we address the issue of poverty and crime? How do we break the intergenerational curse that poverty has borne upon the city? How do we go about putting forth a plan of action that can address those issues? Well, I've continued to do research on, on sort of models that would allow us to move forward. And one thing that I see very clearly in this whole process is that there is a direct relationship between city programming and what the Board of Education does. 
You know, in most cities, um, the school systems are, are under the direction and control of the mayor's office, who's able to coordinate the services between the two entities. In the city of Detroit, we obviously don't have that, and the voters have spoken, I think, not once, not twice, maybe three times, to say they do not want the mayor's office to be involved in the administration of education. Well, the problem that I see with that approach is that you need both sides working together on the same page if we're going to address the issues of structural poverty in the city of Detroit. You cannot elevate the population of a community if you do not have a community that is educated and informed. And I think once we begin to recognize the importance of education uh, in eliminating the issues of poverty, which also has a direct impact on crime because the more educated your population base is, statistics have shown that people who are educated are less likely to commit crime. And so what we've got to understand is how do we begin to address these issues of providing a solid quality education for our young people in the city of Detroit and also have programming available for those who have slipped through the cracks or who are not able to get access to good education. How do we provide them with skill enhancement, skill training, and ultimately job employment strategies or entrepreneur creation strategies which allow us to approach that issue? When we first start to look at the issue of education in the city of Detroit, what we immediately understand is that there is a wide gap between what we receive in the city of Detroit for funding of education and what suburban school districts receive as a result of how education is funded. The city of Detroit receives roughly about $7,900 uh, per year per student. It's called a per pupil allocation. Uh, and that per pupil allocation goes across the board. Whether you're a district in Gross Point, whether you're a district in Detroit, whether you're a district in Birmingham, whether you're a district in Wyandotte, each district gets $7,900. But there is a differential there in terms of what suburban districts were able to capture uh, through their taxes. Um, because of the result of Proposal A and how it changed education funding in the state of Michigan, they have an additional capture which allows them to increase their per pupil allocation for what their students receive. And so while we all get the same basic foundation alliance, allowance amount uh, for our schools, they're able to provide an additional millage support for their districts, which oftentimes increases that between three to $4,000 extra per student that they're allowed to spend on education. And so what do we end up with? We end up with the education gap, which doesn't allow us to fully fund the types of programs that we need. And what we have to begin to understand and what we have to emphasize is that the importance of early education in the city of Detroit is one of the most critical issues that we can face. If we are not working to educate and train our young people so that they can have reading skills uh, and, and comprehension by the third and fourth grade, we're creating a major problem for ourselves because third grade uh, reading levels are so essential to a child moving on to higher education, higher learning. Once you don't provide the education base for children at an early age, what you end up with is creating a problem for yourself later on. Because if a kid can't read and can't be fully engaged in the education process, then how we expect them to become engaged uh, in the workforce. They really go hand in hand. 
the proper skills, the proper training for our young people when they're when they're young, provides for proper training and proper skill sets when they become older. All these skin, all these skills are sequential skills that have to be developed. You first of all in your kindergarten, and first grade, you learn how to play, you learn how to read, you learn how to socially integrate yourself with one, with one another. As you move through school, obviously reading and writing, uh, arithmetic, or they say reading, writing, arithmetic become much more important because you have to be able to read to understand uh, the concepts. You have to be able to count to understand the mathematical concepts, and you have to be able to integrate that higher level thinking. And where we fall short, I believe, is that we are not devoting enough time, effort, and energy to address the problems on the front end of the spectrum. I find it amazing that we can spend $80,000 to incarcerate an adult, but we'd only spend $7,900 to educate a child. That formula should always be flipped from my perspective because the more time, effort, and energy we place in our young people, the better we are and better they're able to cope with how they move through, through life. I think another major uh, important factor that's missing uh, in the education equation is really uh, an emphasis on the kind of the soft skill uh, approach. How do we get people to understand how to get along? How do we get our young people to understand how to resolve conflict amongst themselves? How do we get our young people to understand how to communicate when they have differences? These skills are so critically important because what we see in life is that the absence of a good quality education on the front end of the spectrum, followed by a lack of a social skill and development uh, during the middle part of that life, at the back end leads to gang affiliation, gang violence, and it's a diamond spiral for our community because we have our young men and our young women trapped in a period of hopelessness and helplessness that we have to move forward and develop, I think, a much better approach to how we deal with the issue. And so when we talk about education and we talk about crime, we talk about poverty, all these things are interrelated. We've got to understand you don't have one without the other. The higher the education base, the higher the skill set, the higher the ability to learn uh, a productive living, the higher ability to have a lack of conflict in your life. These are all things that we have to begin to address and understand because to the extent that we, we don't address the fundamental issue of how we provide for a quality education for our children, how do we focus on providing them with the skills that they need and necessary to support themselves, we ended up and putting ourselves in a, in a, in a bad position. In addition, there's sort of another component part to that picture, and that is, that is how the household exists for the children. It doesn't do us any justice to provide a great quality education for our children, and then for our children to have to go home and be food insecure, housing insecure, or water insecure. These things all tie together. A great home environment is good because it provides the support that our children need and what are we doing on the back end to provide our parents with the resources that they need in order to provide the services that they need for their children? What are the wraparound services that we have? How do we get involved in family reunification? How do we assist in, 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 in resolving inner family conflict? All these issues and stress that are created in our houses uh, makes it much more difficult for our children to learn uh, in an educational environment. We've got to make sure that our children have the basic necessary skills in order to compete and to move on to higher learning in life. I mean, studies have shown that there is a direct correlation between absence of, of education 
and the correlation between that and folks' ability to, to commit crime. And so we've got to understand what those numbers look like and understand how we begin to approach and attack the problem. I also talked about the need to have the wraparound supportive services available for our community. When we have our, our, our adults who are, are existing on the edges of life, uh, where the average income in the city of Detroit is $27,000. So you have a parent that's working uh, as an essential worker, spending a lot of time away from the home. How do we make sure that we have proper after-school programming so that our children can be properly cared for and nurtured in an environment that does not lead them to their own devices? We've got to take a good, hard look at how those programs do exist or don't exist. You know, when we were growing up, as we say in the good old days, you know, we could go to the library, we could go to the YMCA, you know, we could kind of hang out at a church. We got to make sure that those services are available to our children now because the more structured environment that they're able to, to be involved in, the more structured their life is, I think a better result we will have for our children uh, as they move throughout the life. Then we've also got to begin to tackle what do we do once we get from the fourth grade to the eighth grade, how really important that is in, in the, socials, the social development of our children. What we find through a lot of research studies is that children who don't handle conflict well as, ch as children obviously won't have, have conflict well uh, as an adult or as a young adult. And so we've got to begin to understand how we put together programming, services, for our young people to understand how to deal with conflict. It is so important that they develop those skills in the leadership training that it needs and takes in order to get this done. Recently, I was told that the uh, school district is gonna receive about 950 to $80 million in additional federal funding as a result of President Biden's American Rescue Plan. And the city of Detroit is also going to receive a similar amount, I think, of roughly $930 million. And then when you add that on with the county's receipt of about $320 million, this represents a once-in-a-lifetime infusion of cash to really do some creative things in order to help the people in our community move forward. The pandemic was a once-in-a-lifetime event. And what the, what the Congress have given to American cities in particular and school districts is the opportunity to transform the lives of the people who live here. And so if we're not talking about how we're going to work together in concert with one another, then we're not making good use of this once-in-a-lifetime benefit that we're going to receive. And we've got to make sure that those dollars are spent in the areas where we need them spent. And so where does that money need to be spent? Well, let's just talk about the issue of wraparound services in our community. We know, given the wage income and wage disparity in the city of Detroit, that a lot of our people in our community are employed at low wages. We also know from the data that a lot of the people who are actually employed in the city don't, live, don't work in the city. They work outside the city. And so we've got to figure out from a transportation standpoint how we can get people from point A to point B where the jobs are. We also have what I call an underemployed uh, population, meaning we have people that are employed because of their skills are not able to get to higher levels of employment that are actually uh, are in the city of Detroit, some of the jobs. We've had a great influx of jobs into our community, 
but very few of those jobs are be able to be filled by Detroiters because we don't have the necessary skills in order to do the work. And so how do we begin to create and construct a program that provides us with essential training for our people to provide the matching skill sets from the jobs that exist in the city of Detroit versus the skills of the people who live here? How do we begin to bridge that gap? I don't see enough effort being done to make those things mesh. If we've got more than 5,000 jobs in the city of Detroit available, if you ride down I-75, you see the billboard which says how many jobs they have available. Well, if you've got more than 42% unemployment in the city of Detroit, it would seem to me that you would, do, you, would, you would have to do a much better task of finding people to fit those jobs. If the, if the jobs are available but the people don't have the skills, then what do we do to get people skill ready in order to accept these jobs? We have to do a much better job of analyzing the information and analyzing data. You know, we've got to have a data-driven approach, but then we also have to have a gut feel for what things need to be done. And I think part of my issue with how everything rolls out is that there is not enough empathy and understanding that we've got to address these issues because they're so intertwined together. We cannot defeat crime in the city of Detroit if we do not defeat poverty in the city of Detroit. They are so interrelated because if, if fighting crime was an effective strategy, we spent over the last 10 years more than $3 billion in fighting crime in the city of Detroit. And we haven't appreciably impacted the numbers in part because we still have very high poverty levels in the city of Detroit. And we've got to begin to change that. And so with this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that the federal government has had, what are the steps that are going to be taken necessarily to structure programming, to structure goods, and to structure services that will provide for what people need in their community? I'm not suggesting that we go out willy-nilly and spend money however we choose, but what I am suggesting is that we've got to approach our spending in a manner that's going to yield the best results for our community. And the best for our community is to spend those resources to enhance the skills for the people who live here, to provide them with whatever training that they need, to provide them with some type of income assistance and support so that they can begin to move their lives forward, to make sure that they have the necessary child care services in place within our community, to provide people what they need so that when they're working, they won't feel insecure about what their child is up to making sure that we have the necessary housing and housing support. Again, and then also, with if you're getting $936 million, I would hope, I would pray, that you would at least allocate some of that money, $600 million that was overtaxed from the taxpayers in the city of Detroit, and provide them with a mechanism in order to create more homeownership for ourselves. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to provide and eliminate housing insecurity in the city of Detroit. Housing insecurity is a major issue with respect to education of our children. I know that during my days as general counsel for the Detroit Board of Education and then later as board president, the mobility rate of children in the city is astonishing. You would have a child that would start out on a school uh, in the east side of Detroit and they would finish and end up the year on the west side of Detroit because of housing issues. So if we're able to eliminate housing as an issue with respect to how our children are educated, then they're in a much more consistent environment in the school because they're in a building for an entire year. 
you know, when you move a child from one building to the next, uh, there's trauma associated with those moves. And so what I'm suggesting is that we can attack issues of homelessness uh, by providing a housing subsidy so that our children can remain in a quality housing environment that gives them another chance to succeed in life. Stopping the movement of a child from school to school during the course of the academic year, I think would do wonders with respect to how we are educating uh, our children you know, to learn. And so we've got to understand that housing impacts that, the employment status of the parents uh, impact the stability in the home, and obviously uh, food insecurity impacts that as well. If you have a child that's in a, that's in a safe and secure environment, uh, they're provided with the services that they need, uh, they have uh, uh, healthy food that they're eating, then we create a much more better environment for ourselves and for our children to learn, which will impact our, our crime issue on a rate down the road. Because again, children who are educated, who are in a healthy and safe environment are less likely to commit uh, criminal acts and then become associated with negative uh, activity. I mean, part of the reason we have such a, a prevalent gang culture within our community is that we have too many of our young people that are disassociated uh, from per being productive citizens. And we've got to begin to change that culture, but we can't change that culture if we don't understand that the reason they're in this culture is because they were not provided with the necessary tools and skills needed in order to have a productive life. If we, if we understand that, then we won't be so hard on them when they uh, engage in negative activity because we understand that part of the reason they're engaging in negative activity is that they've never been given the opportunity to do something that's different. And we've got to be focused on providing a different approach to what we do to encouraging and enhancing our young people and being much more intentional in how we intervene uh, when they begin to commit uh, criminal acts and particularly gun violence in our community, which is at an all-time high. Poverty is a stressor. Uh, it certainly impacts your ability to learn and, and it impacts your ability to move forward in life. So understanding that having our children in good environments, having them with the skills necessary that they need in order to begin to learn how to read and to write and to count those essential building blocks. We also talked about the ability of our children to understand how to resolve uh, interpersonal conflict amongst themselves. You know, having programs in our schools that deal with conflict resolution. You know, in the old days, you went out into the schoolyard you, and you settled your, your differences with fisticuffs. But, you know, that was, that was good for some if you were good with your hands, but if you weren't, it was not a good situation for you. And so how do we begin to change the restorative practices approach to education? Understanding that conflict is a natural part of life. But violent disagreement uh, is not how we should handle it. We need to understand how to mitigate our conflict. How do we ameliorate our differences? How do we learn to respect one another? All of these skills are so important in providing a person, to allow a person to become a well-rounded individual. We gotta have these skills. They have to be incorporated in, in part of the program for our education system. So what happens when, when a kid, you know, kind of falls off the wagon uh, and gets himself in trouble? Well, we know that in looking at the statistics that you can kind of track issues with children. The inability to read and write and learn uh, in early ages obviously puts them in a situation where they have much difficulty in coping uh, with education. 
And then that becomes the issue because, you know, kids sometimes can be cruel. You know, we, we remember the time when, when the teacher would make you stand up in front of the classroom and you would have to read out loud. And if you didn't read something right, the kids would snicker. It becomes kind of devastating to the emotional psyche of a child, especially if that child is having difficulties. So how do we create internal strategies within our schools to provide the support for our young people who've fallen off the wagon, uh, who may not be as engaged as they should be? What can we do to help them? Well, that's where we fall into this notion of enhanced services for our children. We've got to understand that if we don't provide the services with these children at, at an early age, that we're going to end up paying for this service at a much later date. How do we get the, and it's not just a child's issue. It really is a family issue as well. If I've got a mother uh, that has three and four children, and she's working uh, long hours a day, and she doesn't have a lot of time to spend with her kids, that's a family restorative issue which we have to understand and we have to address. We've got to provide, for example, they say more time for parents to be actively engaged in the lives of their children. And I would think that uh, liberal use of Family uh, Medical Leave Act uh, policies, which encourage parents to be much more involved in the lives of their children, is certainly a policy that we need to push uh, in the city. We also have to work around parent schedules when we have uh, parent-teacher uh, conferences in our schools. You know, when I was, my kids were in school, you know, parent-teacher conference was right after school, 3.30 to the six o'clock window. But we had a lot of parents who didn't have the flexibility that I had to attend those parent-teacher conferences. It's not for a lack of wanting or desire to be involved in the education of the children, it's a lack of opportunity and access to education. So how do we change the method of the parent-teacher conference uh, to allow parents to engage teachers? Well, the pandemic has created this notion that a lot of things can be done uh, remote and by computer. But of course, then we still recognize that we have a digital divide in the city of Detroit. So how do we begin to use current strategies and technologies to enhance parent engagement and involvement in the life of their child? I think that is so important and so needed, and we've got to do things a little differently. We've also got to look at the programs that we have available for our kids in after school. You know, after school is not just about having fun. It's also about enhancing and uplifting the skills of the children who are there. And so if we have a child who has a reading issue, providing the level of wraparound services that we can for that child to uh, get reading tutoring. Uh, to get uh, access one-on-one -on -one to a teacher are so important because it allows us to nurture the child. It is so important that we nurture our young people so that we give them a sense of confidence in themselves, which is a soft skill, but it's a very necessary and important skill. If you lack confidence in yourself and your ability to do something, uh, you, will not, you will not participate as much. Kids who are very secure tend not to participate in a lot of different events. And so we've got to work at encouraging and creating a leadership model in our, in our children. Enhanced services. Because we've got to make sure that we are catching problems early. The earlier we catch our problems in our community, the much better off we are. The much better off we are, the much better our society will be. And we, we are, it puts us in a much different position socially. Uh, economically and spiritually when you have people all on the same page working together to move forward. 
So providing those wraparound services. So now what happens if the child continues to fall off the rails and then gets involved in, in, in criminal conduct, gang-related activity? Well, we have a number of programs, you know, they have in the city of Detroit which deal with gang intervention, gang violence strategies. And part of my belief is that those programs really don't go far enough. Because what we've got to be able to show our young people is that there is an alternative way to make income, to engage in life that does not involve a gang culture. We've got to address that. Because if we don't, we end up with the high levels of gun violence that we have in the city of Detroit. Gun violence as a, as a direct result of the inability of our young men and women, uh, sadly to say, inability to resolve conflict. The inability to resolve conflict because they don't necessarily value the life of the individual that they're in conflict with. Conflict with. You know, it's much easier to uh, want to diminish a person if they've been demonized in your, in your, in your eyes. And the more we demonize one another, the less value of our life becomes. And so we've got to begin to train our young people in understanding that he is a human being. He is a person with a family. He is a person with loved ones. If he's not here, his loved ones will be missed. And vice versa for the person who's actually pulling the trigger. Why are you pulling the trigger to resolve the conflict in a manner that's going to be destructive to yourself as well as the individual you're shooting? We've got to provide more services around that. We've got to be much more aggressive in our intervention. When I call for the addition of 100 new community intervention officers, I meant just that. Because we've got to flood the area with people who are concerned, who have relationships uh, with young men and women who are at risk to bring them into society. What does it take in order to get you on the right track? What is it going to take? What do we have to do to ensure that you don't engage in a life of crime? What does it take for you to understand that life of crime is not the way that you should be? And so we've got to work at providing much more intervention on the front end through people who have the connections with the, with the at-risk youth, the people who are concerned about the at-risk youth, and then provide them with a realistic path of how they can move forward. You know, it doesn't help me to bring you off the street and then I not provide you with a mechanism to provide and support yourself. And so we've got to provide the dollars and the income necessary to provide support for people who are at risk, recognizing that it's easier for us to provide them with services than to allow us to have them commit a criminal act in our community. And so we've got to begin to understand that our efforts have to be much more robust. We cannot play at this. This is something that we need to address aggressively with all the skills and resources that we have, with all the institutions and organizations that we have out there. Because if we, 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 we live in a bad time here in the city of Detroit with high crime. High crime is, is a byproduct of lack of education opportunities. Lack of education opportunities is the byproduct of, of a failure of a system structurally to perform its job. And we've got to understand that. We've got to understand what's important for our community to move our young people forward. And I think if we understand that, we'll put ourselves in a much better position to create the community that we know we need and deserve. 
You know, they've done a lot of studies which shows that, you know, a child born in poverty, you know, tends to stay in poverty. And we've got to understand that that is an intergenerational issue which we have to address. But we can only address the issue if we understand what the problems are and what's keeping us uh, in a poverty state. And so we were talking again about the importance of early childhood education and having our children with the ability to read and to write and to be involved in arithmetic. The three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. We've also talked about the need to have wraparound services so that it's more of a family restorative practice approach, excuse me, so that we can bring all the services together for our children and their families. Because if we can't just look at this from the aspect of what the child is involved in, we also have to look at it from the aspect of what the parent is dealing with. If a parent is dealing with uh, underemployment, a lack of employment issues, if a parent is dealing with housing insecurity and food insecurities, all these issues and pressures are passed on to the child, which creates a much more difficult environment for the child to learn in. And we've got to understand that we've got to address these issues uh, in a manner that is systemic, that is structural, and that is sustained. I think part of our problem is that we have these one-hit wonder programs. It's a great program that comes out and people talk about it, but it's a one-hit wonder. It's not really delving with the structural issues of why people are the way they are. And so if we understand the structural issues involved in why people are the way they are, it gives us a much better tool to approach that. And so part of what I guess I'm advocating for is that we've got to create a mechanism by which all of our organizations work together. Our state government, our city government, our school district, our social service agencies, our philanthropic community have got to be all in lockstep with respect to providing the services that we need. And what that takes is a coordinated approach to how we address the issue of poverty in our community. If we don't have an overarching strategy designed to address it, then how do we think we're going to eliminate it? You know, it's the definition of insanity to expect a different result when you've been doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, and you've never gotten a different result. And so what I'm saying is that we perhaps we need to throw the playbook out. We need to rewrite the script. We need to change how we program. We need to change how we operate. We've got to have much more accountability in the system for those who are actually providing the services, that there must be a high level of accountability that needs to be restored in order for the programs themselves to work. The lack of accountability on the government side, the lack of internal controls over spending, the inability to direct the resources to the people who need them, the inability of the recipients to get to the resources that they need. How do we address the issues, the transportation issues that people have in order to get to the services? These are all things that have to be part of an overarching strategy on how we address these issues. If we're not looking at the entire picture, if we're not looking at the total spectrum of what goes on, then we can never begin to address any of the major issues such as homelessness, hopelessness, helplessness within our community and within our city. So we've got to begin to understand what that is and how we address it. So what I'm saying is that we've got to have a, a, a central 
point of, 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 of input. An organization that is specifically devoted to issue of poverty and eradicating poverty in our city by having a centralized focus on the issue of poverty we would have a person who would be responsible for directing the the full array of resources that exist in the environment but for whatever reason can't operate and aren't operating in a manner that is um, productive because most of the times in government you have a siloed approach I got my program over here you got your program over there and I'm looking at you sideways because I'm because the resources are small and I don't want you being successful because I got to keep my little piece of the pie. I'm saying it's time out for that <laughs> because what we're doing is we're hurting ourselves. And if we've got one individual who is responsible for coordinating the whole array of programs, then he will be an advocate with respect to making sure that there are child services uh, and, and support services available that our parents have the support services that they need available, that we're dealing with the transportation issues of people in the community, that we're dealing with the housing issues and insecurity of exists with the people in the community. We're doing the things that we need to do to first identify what the problem is. And what that takes is a coordinated effort to bring people in and talk with them. We've got to meet people where they are. And so if that means we've got to go out in the community and interview people, uh, in, in, a, in a proper setting to understand what they needs are. We've got to do that. What else do we have left to do here? We've got to understand what are your issues, Ms. Johnson? You have an issue with the fact that you're only making $27,000, you got four kids, and you're paying more than $1,500 a month in rent. That's a lot to have to pay on your income to try to house your children. And so that creates stress, it creates the ability and the possibility that you might move because you're facing eviction. So we've got to understand it's more important for us to make sure that you maintain your home and that you have the services that you need. So then we have wraparound services that we can make available to our parents to provide them with the support that they need. When our children go off the rails, we've got to, and we've got to enhance them and we've got to engage them. We have to let them know that we love them. And we understand that, you know, a lot of times our children have undergone and lived in very stressful environments. We've got to understand that stress uh, and is, is a public health issue, that we have to address it, we have to understand it, and we have to move forward to provide people with what they need in order for them to, to be and live a good life. Avoiding the stressful issues, avoiding stress in their lives, reducing the amount of stress, is something that we clearly can address because we have to. You know, what I'm talking about here is things that we really don't have a choice about. We don't have a choice because 30%, 31% level of poverty in the city of Detroit is too high. 60% of the people living in the city of Detroit receiving transfer payments is too high. The average wage of a Detroit at $27,000 a year is too low. The fact that the Detroiters have to pay more than 40% of their income is too high. The fact that most people in the city of Detroit are attracting perpetual payment plans with DTE, uh, the Wayne County Treasurer, and the Detroit Water Board is too much. All these issues compound the fact that we've got a high literacy rates, which we have to begin to address that, that portion of our population. What does it take to get people to read? How do we provide them with services? If we have inadequate libraries within our city, 
then where do they go to learn how to read? What are the support services available for adults who want this type of service? If they don't have a GED, how do we get them a GED? If we get them a GED, how do we get them in Wayne County Community College? How do we begin to move people forward? So I say we've got to have an overall um, uh, plan to interrupt poverty in our city. And what that poverty plan entails is a carefully coordinated effort at addressing issues of educational uh, deficiencies and funding, which provides for more resources for our children, the wraparound services that we need in order to make sure that the parents have what they need, which entails utilization of strategies devolved around housing insecurity, food insecurity, the mental health services, the whole array of services that we need in order for our, our people and our community to be healthy. How do we provide the employment opportunities? How do we get access to transportation so that we can move people to the jobs? Again, I said earlier today that the 65% of the people in the city who are living in the city of Detroit don't work in the city of Detroit. That number's got to be much higher for people who actually live here. We have to be able to employ people in the city uh, at the skills where they are. And we've got to create more opportunities for entrepreneurs in the city to hire the people who we need to have hired in our community. If we don't do that, then we're going to constantly be in this, in this continuous cycle of high poverty and high crime because I maintain that if we address the issue of poverty and the underlying structural issues of poverty in our community, we will do ourselves a much better job of dealing with the issue of crime at the back end. And crime at the back end obviously does involve some level of diversion for our young people uh, who get caught up uh, in the trap, providing them with a pathway to productive citizenship. What does it take to get you out of, of the system? Well, too many of our young men have been institutionalized and we've got to begin to retrain them and retrain them in their thinking so that they become deinstitutionalized so that we can so that they can live a productive life understanding what the issues are understanding the stresses in their life are all too important and all too real and we recognize how important it is for us as a community to address these issues and so i am anthony adams this is the we detroit uh, we deserve better show and i look forward next week to speaking with you on another topic of interest uh, in our community